Okay, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 18, 19 to make some comments, see if there's anything that we can learn from this this morning. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Galilee, of course, is the northern part of Israel, up near the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's away from Jerusalem. It's actually the area that was um, the northern kingdom in the Old Testament, Old Covenant times. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to, him, to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And so... We have this brief little interlude of going back to John the Baptist who was put in prison. And it's kind of interesting that John the Baptist has questions about Jesus. Is he the one or is there someone else that we need to expect? You wonder why did John have doubt? And we'll talk about a little bit more about that uh, later on. But John is the one who recognized Jesus. He was the one who was by the, the Jordan River baptizing. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one else knew who Jesus was, but John knew who Jesus was. There he is. There he is. And then Jesus said, I'm here to be baptized. And John said, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I need to be baptized by you. He recognized the holiness and the purity in Jesus. He said, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, nope. Fill all righteousness. It needs to be this way. So John did. And now John's in prison. And he says, are you the one (laughs) or not? How many of you started your journey with the Lord expecting certain things and it didn't quite turn out the way you expected? Does that ever happen? What caused the great disappointment in John? I, I, can, I can think <laughs> back on my own experience when I really began to, to pursue the Lord. I mean, just really go after him. And 
thought about all the things, that the possibilities. I think of the, some of the dreams that I had. I don't mean um, when I was sleeping dreams, but some of the, the, the things that I anticipated might happen in my life, the things that I wanted to go up, my aspirations. Um, and it's like the zeal. You know how your zeal is really strong and fervent initially when you come to the Lord, and over time things can tend to, they can tend to uh, wind down. And it seems like that's what's happened to John. All of a sudden he finds himself in prison. And so I wonder if it wasn't a plea for help, like, uh, are you really the one? Why am I in prison? And so Jesus' response is, what? The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. John was the last of the old covenant prophets. He was the last one. And according to Jesus, he was the greatest one. And then there's this little phrase in those verses that said, and yet the least in the kingdom is greater than John. What? Okay, so I have a question for you. Do you know, do you understand what your inheritance is in Jesus, what your inheritance is in the kingdom? And in what way are you demonstrating the greater than John aspect? If you're in the kingdom, you are greater than John. How are you demonstrating that? Do you ever think about that? Or do you just feel kind of intimidated? Or is it just the fact that, okay, it's, it's what I have intrinsically, but I'm not really, am I supposed to walk that out? Am I supposed to be demonstrating something greater? And so it's, you know, I, the Bible never just uses nice words for sounding nice, right? There's always, there's always reasons why, especially when Jesus says something, but there's always... A reason. So I want to ask you, I just want to challenge you with this, because I don't, I don't have an answer for you. You need that answer. But how are you demonstrating that what you have is greater than what John the Baptist had? Now, you could say that it's salvation. I have, I, I've trusted Jesus because we're after the cross and I have salvation. He said greater. And so I, that's, that's something that I think we need to dig into more. Uh, we won't do it today, but to dig into more and say, okay, what does that really mean and what is that? What is your inheritance? Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's part of our inheritance. Early on in our marriage, which was 
a little while ago. I took this portion of scripture and I memorized it and I began to pray it for myself many times a day and I personalized it. And I would say, Father, I pray that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you better. And I want to know the the inheritance that I have in you. And so I began to pray that over and over and over and over out loud, whispering it, saying it three, four, five times a day as often as I could remember to, to do it. And after a while, my wife said to me, what's going on with you? I said, what? What do I do now? She said, you keep coming up with these insights in Scripture. You say, well, look at this. Did you ever see this before? Did you she said, how are you doing that? I said, I don't know. I'm just reading the Bible. And she said, well, something's going on. I said, oh, I know what it is. I'm asking God for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and he's giving it to me. See, that's not me. It's not, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that there is a power in Scripture that we don't always understand. And I think there's times when we um, take the words of Scripture too lightly, and we will glean the reward that God has for us depending on how we treat Scripture and how we approach it and how we... Uh, uh, grab a hold of it? Do we really believe what it says? And when, and when God gives us promises or truths or says things, it's not, it's not flippantly. He really means what he says. And there's, there's usually so much more depth to what he says than we realize. And so I just went after it. And she noticed and said, well, I'm going to start memorizing this, and I'm going to start quoting this and praying this for myself. I said, well, go for it, girl. I mean, go. There's a way that we can treat Scripture, honor God's Word, hide it in our hearts, continue to declare it so that it becomes incredibly fruitful in our lives. And there's another way to approach Scripture that will, will really just leave it unfruitful and allow our lives to be unfruitful because we just kind of read it, well, that's nice. But do we go after it like, "Mm, this is mine, I'm going for it. And so that's my encouragement as far, just thinking about our inheritance and and what we have in Jesus that would possibly, one of the aspects that would possibly give us a, a place where Jesus would say that the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is in us. What does that mean? And I don't mean that, well, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but what does it mean in a practical way, in an outworking kind of a way? How is my life different because the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is in me? That word for power is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's dynamic. It's, it's explosive power. Okay? It really is. Okay, I want to look at this verse. Here's a verse that's kind of been muddled and confused. Uh, verse 12 in Matthew chapter 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept that he is the Elijah who was to come, whoever's ears, let him hear. Now, there are two, basically two schools of thought on, on verse 12. 
and there's, I wouldn't say it's disagreement, but it's just we don't quite understand this because some people say that the kingdom of God is under attack and violent men continue to attack it. There are other uh, verses, other translations, other people that uh, say it this way, and this is from God's Word translation. It says, From the time of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful people have been seizing it. So the question is, which is the right one? Is the kingdom of, of heaven under attack? Or is the kingdom of heaven advancing forcefully? You know what the answer is? The answer is yes. I think it's both. I actually think it's both, and I think that we actually have a picture of it, a description of it in this passage of Scripture. So let me... I know. Don't you, don't you love when the Bible is ambiguous? I run into those passages a lot. It's like, okay, what's the right answer? And, and very often God allows a dynamic tension to exist because it's not one or the other. It's, it's both, or it has to do with the Holy Spirit's leading at a particular time. This is what I want you to understand about the Scripture. This is what I want you to understand about the Scripture at this present time. And sometimes it seems that God loves that dynamic tension that we're actually wrestling with Scripture. We're actually struggling to understand it. You know what? He is not at all upset when we come to Scripture and go, this really confuses me. Don't you want to help me with my confusion? He goes, no, not really. I want you to work on it for a while. I want you to chew your cud for a while. I want you to really, you know, pursue me in this so that you can come to an understanding of what's going on. So here's, here's what I wanted to, to say about this. Um, in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was actually beheaded. And so that was violence against the kingdom of God, wasn't it? The greatest prophet, the greatest old covenant prophet was beheaded. It, they cut his head off. And so that's violence against the kingdom. But then Jesus goes on to say this. Tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. I want to tell you that those miraculous things that Jesus did was violence against the kingdom of hell. See, that's the violence that I believe the Word of God wants us to take against the kingdom of hell. In Luke chapter 10, remember that Jesus sent out the 70 disciples to the different villages and cities that he was about to visit. And he said, go there, gave him instructions, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, speak peace. We've looked at that a number of times in different ways. And they came back and they were jubilant. They were so excited. They came back and they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is awesome. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And the the tense of the verb is actually that what Jesus was saying is, I saw Satan fall like lightning again and again and again and again. Every time there's a miracle, it's a violent attack against the kingdom of hell. It's a violent attack against the kingdom of hell. Isn't that awesome? Look at the contrast between the two kingdoms. 
One kingdom is violently opposed to the destruction of lives. And it's one that is hurtful, painful, destructive, hellish. In the, in the most violent and evil way. And the violence of the kingdom of God is blessing. Is restoration, is healing, is wholeness, it's salvation, sozo. It's all those things that, that God wants for people, for human beings, is, is complete restoration. And so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So how did he go about doing that? By performing miracles, by doing good, by helping those who were who were hurting, Isaiah 53 and 61. By his stripes we are healed. And the verses on the wall in the back that we have from Isaiah 61, how Jesus came to bring healing, to bring wholeness to people. And so when we see any place where the enemy has attacked people, we need to attack. We need to attack. We need that kind of mentality. You know, God is looking for warriors. You know, he's looking for fighters. He's looking for people that are willing to go out and fight on his behalf. Last week, we shared a verse for those of you that were here, (laughs) which is fine. You know, that's not a... Judges chapter 3 says that, that God left enemies in the land in order to teach the children of Israel warfare. There was a whole generation that had never fought the wars of Canaan, and God left enemies in the land so that they would learn how to fight. And so the spiritual application is that God allows the enemy place in our lives and the lives of others so that we learn warfare, so that we learn to fight. But how do we fight? We don't, you can't use the enemy's weapons against him. You can't use anger to battle anger. You just make things worse. You can't use fear to battle fear. You can't use any of the enemy's weapons to fight him because he'll just take it, turn it around on you, and use it on you. The weapons that we have have divine power to the pulling down of strongholds, right? Pulling down of strongholds. And so our weapons is the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit within us to continue the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and really, that is, that is uh, praying for healing, and we're pressing into that. Let me ask you something. I, we've been, we've been uh, on a course in this fellowship for a number of years now to see God do more and more and more and more and more in the area of healing. Matter of fact, when we first began to teach on this, and I began praying for people Sunday mornings, I had people come to me and say, would you stop talking about this healing stuff? They actually asked me to stop. Somebody actually said to me, you know, I came to church this morning because I really needed the message, and all you did was pray for people that were sick. And I was really disappointed that, you know, I didn't get a message. I'm like, okay. I'll try to keep that in mind. I'll ask God about that, what he wants me to do. I mean, those were the... I mean, we've been a lot of places. (laughs) Um. But there's opposition, there's opposition to, we've been praying a long time for for God to release more and more and more healing. And I am so appreciative for the things that he's doing, for the things that he's doing, I really am. Uh, But we want to see more, and we want to see greater things. Jesus said we would do greater things in his name. 
because he's going to the Father and he's sending us the Holy Spirit. Why is there so much difficulty in advancing praying for people for healing and seeing the results that Jesus saw? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard that when you determine, I am going to pray for somebody this week, Lord, bring somebody across my path that needs healing, and I'm going to pray for them, and God, bring somebody across your path. Maybe it's just for emotional healing. And you know that here's somebody that has a need and you feel the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to pray for them and you back down because you're scared. Why is there that internal struggle and battle to pray for somebody? Because it's an attack on the kingdom of God and they are really trying to keep you down. That's why it's so difficult to advance. I believe one of the reasons it's so difficult to advance in all this is because it really is a dynamic struggle and battle. We're in a warfare. We're in a fight. We're in a battle. And when we pray for someone and they're healed, it is an attack, a direct attack against the kingdom of hell. And the kingdom of hell suffers great loss when we do that. Now, see, we don't realize, we don't realize that. We'll pray for somebody and God will touch them and heal them. It's all oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But, but if we could see if we could see what's going on in the, in the heavenly realms, we would be amazed. And perhaps we would be a little more aggressive or at least a little more expectant in our desire and longing to pray for people. Because that is how we are going to overcome the enemy. How does, God, how does God's influence expand in a region? It's through this kind of warfare we're expanding where we're... Where, where we're Uh, advancing the kingdom through violence, but it's the violence of ministering to the needs of people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, It's part of our inheritance. I believe that's the greater works or the least of the kingdom. The least in the kingdom is greater than John because we have an opportunity to pray for people and to see God touch them and to bring destruction to the kingdom of hell we don't keep that in mind you know we we listen i've been i've had the same struggles that you've had you've had i'm you know i should pray i should pray oh i didn't do it lord i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i didn't do it and see, the problem, the problem is the focus is on me, unfortunately. And we need to overcome that and realize that there's a battle. When we see people that are hurting, we see them, people that have disease, sicknesses, and those kinds of things, that's a mark of the enemy's kingdom and his destruction. And he wants to destroy lives. And God is looking for people who have compassion and love and love for him and the desire to see the enemy's kingdom destroyed. And when you pray, you're releasing kingdom into their lives and the kingdom advances and that other kingdom gets beat up. Let's beat up the other kingdom some more. One other thing happened here in this, um, and I'll try to get through this quickly is the doubt that John the Baptist had. Are you the one or should we expect another? You'd almost almost be wondering, where did this blindness come from? 
You saw it so clearly before. How did this all of a sudden change? And it has to do with the next statement that Jesus made, or the statement that he made about Elijah comes first, but truly I say he already has come. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, for those that you can accept, this is my opinion. You don't have to believe this, but I believe that Elijah and the prophets actually had an angel assigned to them to give them what they did. How does the Holy Spirit speak? Well, I think that the Holy Spirit uses angels to carry out um, their ministering spirits. So when we're wanting to hear the Lord and, and uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, I believe that there's actually angels present that are doing the whispering. That's just my opinion. You can think of it a different way. I just like to think about how the mechanisms work. But I believe that, that Elijah had an angel that was assigned to him, and John the Baptist came. He had the same angel. Came in the spirit of Elijah. Same angel. Just You won't find a scripture on that, so you can throw this out if you want to. I'm just, this is how my head works, and it works for me. So what happened to Elijah. He prayed. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Drought came. Finally, the Lord says to him, and I want you to go present yourself to Ahab, King Ahab, king of Israel, wicked king, even more wicked wife Jezebel. Goes up to Mount Carmel, remember? Goes up to Mount Carmel, calls all the prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Asherah. They each built an altar, and they made a sacrifice, and, and Elijah said, you call on your gods, and I'll call on my God, and the God that answers by fire is the true God, and we'll worship him. He said, that sounds great to us. Here we go. So they guys were dancing around their altar all day long, cutting themselves, bleeding, and knocking the altar down. And Remember the story. So Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Put, builds his altar again because they knocked it down. He digs a trench around it, and then they dump water on it. Remember, they dump water on it, and then he says, okay, God, show them that you're the God who is the true God. And fire falls down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, and licks up all the water besides. And then all the prophets of Baal are killed. Elijah says, grab them, they're false prophets, kill them. So 800 prophets of Baal and Asherah were killed that day. And what happened to Elijah? Jezebel said to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And he got scared and ran. Right? Do you hear that? He had this tremendous victory. God answered with fire on the altar, consumed the sacrifice, licked up the water, and everybody realized that he was the man of God, speaking for God as the prophet. They killed all the prophets of Baal, and one woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he runs in fear. Who did John the Baptist in? Herodias, same spirit there, ladies and gentlemen, same spirit there, came against John the Baptist. The, prophet of the, the spirit of Elijah in John the Baptist was um, attacked by Jezebel's spirit. Now, I don't want to talk a lot about Jezebel's spirit, or, or uh, there's a, plenty of teaching on that. Um, I don't like to go around pointing my finger. People say, oh, they got a Jezebel spirit. Um, or they have characteristics of Jezebel or all that kind of stuff. Um, 
it really doesn't do any good to, to, to point fingers. Um, and my question, I mean, we, uh, honestly, we've run into that. We need to be careful of that. In Revelation, there are churches, the uh, letter of the church that said you tolerate Jezebel. And we need to not tolerate Jezebel. We need to not tolerate that spirit. Um, but I, I really try to stay away from calling anybody that. I mean, maybe if I get really mad at somebody sometime, I might, but I, that rarely happens. It's been a long time since I've done that. Um, that's not the issue. My, my, I mean, we've had people here who have been influenced by that. You can tell that there's something going on in them. And for me, this is how I approach it. First of all, not give in to, what is a Jezebel spirit? Just briefly, it's manipulation and control that's rooted in fear. And the way that most people, and oftentimes, oftentimes it's women, it can be in men, can be influenced. Usually men are the Ahab spirit, but oftentimes it's women. Uh, it's, it's a woman who has been deeply hurt or wounded by trauma early on in an atmosphere where she was supposed to be protected and nurtured by the father over her, was abused by the father over her, or by the men the guardians in her life that were supposed to provide her protection didn't. And so those hurts and those wounds cause a person like that to build up walls of protection, and they become very manipulative and controlling because they don't want to be hurt like that again. Okay? So there's reason why that spirit exists. So I have no, I have no wish to attack the person. I have the desire to see them set free. I want to know how we can, can do what we need to to bring that person to healing so that they can be set free from the influence of the enemy, to be healed from the trauma of the past so that they can become everything that God intends for them to be. Uh, we've had folks here that have been like that. And we've been a bit frustrated, and I say we, our leadership team, even Artie and I have been somewhat frustrated in the fact that it's very difficult, very difficult to find the path to healing for people that don't, either don't want to recognize what's in them or get free from it. And, we, and, and when, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sharing in my heart right now, there have been times when people, it, it, inevitably, you come to a point of conflict or butting heads where, they're pushing for control and say no. You just say no. And sometimes it's a very simple no. And they can't take that. And off they go. Find another church. And uh, my heart breaks. And Artie's heart breaks. We say, God, would you give us what we need? Where are the resources of your kingdom? Where's the dunamis power to see people like that set free? So when I read this story about John the Baptist and I see what Herodias did to John... And I understand that that's a dynamic that we still deal with. My heart is not to destroy people who are influenced by the enemy. My desire is to destroy the enemy and his influence in people so they can be set free. And so um, when it comes to that whole issue, um, we're about freedom. New Beginnings Fellowship is about freedom. Uh, and it's about healing, and it's about wholeness, and it's about love. Um, any, anybody can be critical. Um, 
Did you know that criticism and judgmentalism is not a spiritual gift? <laughs> and it may, you know, God gives discernment, but discernment working on its lowest level, discernment that comes from the Lord at its lowest level sees what's wrong. Discernment working at its highest level is seeing what God's doing, seeing what he's doing. And so I want my discernment to get better and better and better and better so that I can see what God's up to. It's pretty easy to recognize what the enemy's doing in other people. That's not really a spiritual gift. That's just flesh. (laughs) You know, I mean, we can all see that and being critical. It's like, I don't want plank disease. What plank disease is? Now there's plank in my eye. Let me help you. Get that speck out. I don't want plank disease. Um, Jesus brought kindness. He brought healing. He brought blessing. He spoke peace. Those were the weapons that he used, the way that he spoke, the way that he dealt with people. When the woman was brought to him, was caught in adultery, He was the only one legitimately who had a right to throw stones at her because he was perfect. Isn't that what he said? He was without sin, throw the first stone. But he didn't. He didn't. And so uh, my conclusion today, (laughs) I want to be a true valiant warrior in the kingdom of God who relentlessly advances peace. You know what peace means? Peace is shalom, which means health, healing, wholeness, completeness. It's everything that God wants for us. That's why Jesus, when he was raised from the dead and met his disciples, he said, peace to you. (laughs) And it wasn't like, it wasn't just like this uh, greeting like, hey man, how you doing? Hey man, peace. You know, it it wasn't that at all. You know, we don't, he meant peace with all of its attributes. And so that's what I want to be. That's what I want for New Beginnings Fellowship. I want us to be uh, a body of believers that goes to war, that really battles, not afraid of a fight, not afraid to take on the enemy. That doesn't mean that we go out yelling and screaming at demons, No. We're out blessing people, praying for them in their need, and doing what Jesus did, minister to them in the power of the Holy Spirit.